me just fine? Wonderful. Well, good morning, everybody. And I'm so glad to be here with you. Sherilyn and I really had a wonderful time coming up. Uh, the Bakers have just blessed us the whole time we're here. Of course, we first chance I got to meet them was in Chalice, Idaho. We were both at a, at a conference. And, uh, you know, you, you are blessed to have them as your pastors because they brought such a wonderful message and, and really, really uh, changed a lot of those folks in Idaho with their thinking. And, and, and they saved me a lot of what I have to teach you today because he's already been teaching with you on finance and stuff like that. So I'm going to teach you a little bit more about rocket science this morning. <laughs> there will be a math test at the end of the class. No. So anyway, I, I, I'm really fortunate to uh, be able to share some of these things with you. Sherilyn and I have been preparing for this moment for the better part of uh, seven years. And we have spent time thinking about these ideas. We had the privilege of sharing them in California just about a month ago, and, and they were very well received. We shared them about, was it four or five years ago, Sherilyn, to the first group of folks, and they were our, our guinea pigs, if you will. And to kind of give you some estimate of how they've done, they're in somewhere north of $100 million of projects right now. Uh, and they started pretty much with nothing. So uh, hopefully if some of you want to own your own business or want to help someone own their own business or just want to pray for someone who wants to own their own business because they do need a lot of prayer, then, then this will help you today. And, and so we're not going to tr try to make it overly spiritual because you've got great leadership for that. I'm just going to get down into the fundamentals, but I will give you the biblical precedence for it. So with, with that beginning, let's see if I can get the first slide up here to work so I know how to work this piece of technology. So there we go. I'm a rocket scientist and I can't run this thing. Which, this way? Did it change? Okay, maybe this way. Sometimes you just have to hold your mouth right. Well, I'm prepared to teach without the slides if necessary, so that's okay. You got it? There we go. Maybe it's the battery. Well, let's start with this first slide. Um, steward now. What we hope to share with you this morning is about becoming a steward. And there's a biblical purpose for that. And the first thing I want to share with you about becoming a steward is, is that it's about ownership. Now, if we take the position that God owns everything, then we aren't worried about title. And ownership's about having title to something. But when you're a steward, you're a manager of someone else's resources. So in this way, when we talk about kingdom finance, and we say that we're going to use the Lord's resources to do the things that we're going to do, then we don't own those. He does. 
And so we are just the steward of them. And therefore, we have responsibility. It was, that's our role, responsibility. He has ownership. Is that fair? So let's, let's begin here now. Well, left or right? Well, look at that. Now I know what to do. So like the definition that, the, that is used most often here is it's managing the house, sometimes referred to as your calling. Now, you guys have, and by the way, it, we'll make these slides available to them if they want them, you know, so you don't have to. If you want to shoot pictures, sure, you're welcome to, but we'll make the slides available to you. And so uh, managing the house or your calling, and, and it, what it means is that you utilize and manage the resources that God provides for the glory of God and the betterment of his creation. And another way of saying it is the four T's, time, temple, talents, and treasure. So these are the resources we're going to talk about today and how to manage them properly to the betterment of his creation. Now, other words that, that we have for, for uh, stewards is free man versus slave. So just because you're a manager doesn't mean you're under oppression. In fact, you have tremendous freedom because the Lord gave to Adam everything in the earth. And as descendants of Adam, we have rights to everything in the earth through inheritance. Does that make sense? So it's all for us to use. So we're free men. We're not slaves. We're leaders. We're not followers. Now, I know for some folks, it's easier to follow than it is to lead. But in something, you're a leader. You know, even if it's your toothbrush, right? Something, you're a leader, okay? As I said before, it's manager of another's property, financial affairs, but not the owner. We'll talk, this is going to become very important. That's why I'm emphasizing so much. Uh, fancy word is overseer. Sometimes referred to as elder. Sometimes referred to as bishop, interestingly enough. Most of you probably don't think of yourselves as bishops, but in reality, in your part of your world, you are the bishop. You're the treasurer, the keeper of accounts, the one who is trusted. Keyword trusted, okay? And you're the distributor of the Lord's resources, which is called his abundance. What a great job, right? All of you are stewards, and you have the responsibility to distribute the Lord's abundance. Think about that for a moment. Infinite abundance, and you get to distribute it. So let's talk a little bit about what is a calling. I'm going to go through these fundamental things, and then we'll get into the pictures. That's my favorite part. There's a lot of words, you know, and I have two doctoral degrees, but reading is still never my strong suit. So we say a calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion, dynamism, direction, lived out as a response to his summons and service. 
Think about that. You're distributing all of his resources, and you're following that mantra. It's also referred to as a want, a need, and a desire, but these are often worldly expressions of a calling. So I could be called to be a rock star. I I would never be called to be a a swimmer because those guys are thin. Right? So, but I'm I'm just, you know, expanding my territory. Okay, so the next thing is, now we talked about calling. So it's built three times. Everything is built three times. So to start with, the words will be interchangeable for my purpose today, whether you use the word calling, dream, vision, destiny, or purpose. For my discussion, they're all just your calling. Now, I realize there are slices of difference in the definition. But for today, let's just make them the same. And so we start off with vision. Now, uh, I was speaking with, was it Stu? I was speaking with Stuart here a few minutes ago, and he was saying, you know, I'm a guy of vision, right? I, I have all these gr- visionary ideas. And so for everything that's built, there is al- it always begins with a visionary. Someone who has the dream, sees it in pictures. You know, I'm married to a prophet. She she refers to herself as a seer. She sees things in pictures, you know. And then and from that, she determines what the Lord is saying to her, you know, through these pictures. Now, she often gets words too, but what I'm saying is often she refers to it as, as pictures. Some people you've heard say, I have, I have a dream. I, 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 the Lord spoke to me about this. Whatever the case may be, that's the vision. The second one is the architect. The architect takes that. And often that's the role I play, is architect. And I take the vision that someone else has, and I write it all down on paper, and I get it all systematized and organized and all those type of things. And then I hand it off to the builder. And the builder actually executes the plan. So what you're seeing is, is that if you try to wear all three hats you often are overwhelmed. Does that make sense? You need to, it it takes teamwork to make the dream work, is another way of saying it, right? It's okay that if you're this visionary person that you find somebody that can put it down on paper, and it's okay if you're the kind of guy that puts it down on paper that you find this lady who can build it. You know, but when you have that team together, it's strong. Now, another way of looking at this is that we begin are calling with knowledge. That means it's in our head. So often when we, we think we heard from the Lord, you know, we're not completely sure yet, but, but it felt like we heard from the Lord. Anybody ever experienced that? Like, I think I heard from the Lord, but, you know, it could have been pizza. <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> you know how that feels sometimes, right? All right, so then once you move from knowledge then over time you move into understanding. And understanding is knowledge with the ability to apply it. Okay, much like the difference between vision and blueprint, right? It's knowledge with the ability to apply it is understanding. And then finally you move to wisdom. This is when you've been around long enough and fell off your horse enough and been shot off your horse enough and you've made all the mistakes, 
And finally, somebody says, born genius. <laughs> you know, the, these people that, 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 you know, that come out with these songs, they, they become rock stars overnight. And they, no one ever believes that they spent 20 years playing in smoky bars and doing all this other stuff and, and having sleepless nights and living in the back of a van so that eventually they could have this one song that would make them seem like they were brilliant. What I'm trying to try to say to you is that most great things just don't happen unless you call them a lottery. And almost every lottery, because of a spiritual principle, results in bankruptcy. Why? Because you didn't go through the process. Does that make sense? You didn't go through knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, so you get all this money and you don't know what to do with it, and everybody becomes your friend, right? And they've all got these great ideas, and next thing you know, they have your money and you're bankrupt. Same thing's true of inheritance. A lot of people who, who inherit a lot of money, they never seek advice about what to do with it. Well, one of the reasons the person who gave you a lot of money had a lot of money was they were wise, and the reason they gave it to you is they hoped you might become a good steward. But often that doesn't happen because we just don't have the experience. Make sense? Lastly, we define when we teach calling in three phases. First, the calling, which is sort of like we said, a knowledge-based thing. When you finally understand it enough, you're compelled. You, when you get up in the morning and it's the thing you think about and it's driving you to do it, even though you may not have executed yet, okay? But every morning you wake up and you say, God, I really want to be in El Salvador working with those kids. Or I really want to build a restaurant. Or I really want to do whatever it is you want to do. Okay? Then we call that a mandate. You finally have gotten to the place where you really won't be satisfied till you do it. Anybody ever experienced that right now? To where it's just burning inside of you, you need to do something, and until it gets accomplished, you don't get to do it. And finally, steward. This is when you realize that God has called you to this thing, and it's his. Because the difference between really mandate and stewardship is that understanding right there. Because when it's a mandate, it's yours. When it's a stewardship, it's his. So we refer to this as open-hand and closed-hand stewardship. To be an open-hand steward means you see everything as God's. He is, he is the man, uh, meaning the steward is the manager, and God will supply every need, and that is referred to as abundance. Because you're stewarding his abundance. Make sense? On the other hand, a closed-hand steward sees everything as his resources and that he will share, tithe, give those resources, and to help others. That is the current economic system of the world called scarcity. So you, you are putting a limit on yourself because it's depending upon what you can do. Where if you, if you are an open-hand steward, you have no limits because it's what God can do. Now, it's hard to become an open-hand steward. Why? Because it's our very nature to hang on to things. You know, it, it takes training. It takes desire. It takes willingness to become an open-hand steward. Because 
we operate as people on a thing called the fear of loss is greater than the desire for gain. And, and you want to write that one down if, you, if you're writing things down. The fear of loss is greater than the desire for gain. An old way of saying that is a burden of hands worth two in the bush. Because the idea here is most people will stay with what they know. They won't reach out for opportunity. They're afraid, they're afraid that they will, mostly they're afraid of failure. My father had a philosophy about failure. He said, I, my, my dad, by the way, was the first guy to ever have open heart surgery uh, using the heart-lung machine. It's a, it's, a, it's a historical record you don't necessarily want to have. You know, and, and in fact, we have a newspaper still in the, in the, in the cedar chest at home, seventh successful surgery, six Doberman Pinchers and my dad. You know, uh, and, and so, uh, and he, so he, and, and he was from the eastern hills of Tennessee, and so, you know, dental care was not exactly something hillbillies took care of that much, and, and, and such as that. And so in order for him to have heart surgery, they pulled all of his teeth, okay? And you need to know that he suffered through three strokes and more than 100 heart attacks, okay? So when I'm getting ready to tell you what it was his philosophy of life, it'll make a little more sense to you. He said, you know, son, I came into this world naked, no teeth in my mouth, slobbering a lot, and no money in my pocket. If I go out of this world that way, I just broke even. I can't lose. That's a philosophy you ought to have. Losing only means experience. Unless you let it take you out. If you let the devil convince you that you failed and therefore you're a failure, then you, you know, you are. Because you've let someone of lesser power than you take over control of your life. Because we know we have the king inside of us, we are greater than he who is in the world, right? So because of that, there is no real failure. So if I can teach you anything today, is to be free of that fear. Now, there are learning opportunities <laughs> in which some of them, the price of those textbooks are very expensive. You know, while we go through those experiments, you know, one guy said it once this way, if you haven't been bankrupt three times, there's no way to be a billionaire. Because you haven't, you haven't took enough risk yet. Now, you can't say that to some of the young folks because they woke up, dreamed up this crazy app, and now they're billionaires. <laughs> but they have not learned to steward it yet. And it may leave them before they're 40. So what I want you to do is take out a, on your piece of paper, draw a line, a continuum from, you know, just a straight line. And on the left side, I want you to write employee. And on the right side, I want you to write entrepreneur. And, and, and this, is, this is a self-assessment. And we'll have a number of these assessments we're going to go through this morning. And when we're done, you basically will have profiled yourself on how ready you are to become a kingdom steward. So on the left is employee, on the right is entrepreneur and and so which one do you think is more safety minded employees right uh, we were in a meeting in california i was in a meeting in california just last week 
uh, got invited back, so it must have been okay the first time. And so, uh, you know, and, and so one of the young folks in the room says, well, you know, I've been working here at the company for about a year, and I don't know why I don't have ownership yet. You know? And, and I said to them, well, how much risk are you willing to take? Because, see, that kind of defines it right there. And, of course, if you want your paycheck every Friday at 5 o'clock and you don't want to think, you want to go home and not think about your business as soon as you get home and, and, and you don't want to have any responsibility of leadership, then freedom comes with responsibility. That's another good one to write down. Freedom comes with responsibility. So it's the difference between renting your life to someone or owning your life. So if as a steward, we're trying to be free men, or ladies, we're trying to be free men, then it's obvious that we're probably going to need to be more entrepreneurial than we are employees. Now, you might be right dead in the middle. You're a little bit of country and a little bit of rock and roll. Or you might be, you might be a little right of center, left of center. You know, you may be all the way to the left, all the way to the right. That's for you to know. We don't need, you know, I'm not asking you to stand up and testify, you know. The next thing is the difference between what's called fragile and agile. In the world we live in today, it is important that, that we be agile. Why? Because those of us who've lived long enough, I, I turned 63 this year, and one of the things I can tell you is I've lived long enough to see a lot of change, right? And change is speeding up. And if you've seen most curves, they, they're called asymptotic. They, they do this, right? They do that. Some people call them hockey sticks. You know, they do this turn up. Well, that means that the time, and we'll talk about momentum a little bit later, but the time under the curve gets shorter and shorter, the ability to make decisions. Okay? That's what it really means. And so you have to be agile. Because if you're a battleship, it's hard to turn in the river. But if you're a little rover boat, you can really be able to turn quickly. And that's the way we see warfare going today. It used to be in warfare, we stood across the field and we shot at each other until the last guy stood. And then we, that was the winner. Kind of futile, but it was the winner. Then we got mechanized. We moved into an, air, an age of industrialization and we built these tanks and bombers and stuff and we stood a little bit back at a distance and we shot the other guys. And if they didn't blow up our tank, we were the winner. And then a little bit later, we used technology to become very strategic. And we built these bombers and these ICBMs. And we stood back at an even greater distance. And we, lobbed, we thought we would lob those over there. Call, but they thought they would lob theirs too. So we had this thing called mutually assured destruction or MAD. And so as a result, nobody launched those weapons, thank God. But most recently, we have a lot of terrorism. And so now six guys in a rubber boat with technology from the sky can take on an army. So if warfare has become agile, business needs to become agile. And this idea back in 2008 where we heard, well, they're just too big to fail, that's a lie. In fact, if they're too big, they likely are going to fail in the 21st century. We see it in computers, right? We see... We went from big mainframes 
to PCs. Now they're actually doing distributed computing over cell phones because most of your cell phones are more powerful than your PC. And so as a result, if you give them access, they can run your, PC, your, your actual personal uh, phones, cell phones, as if they were a big smart computer. But think of the agility of that. Okay? Uh, compete versus collaborate. When you're an employee, it's kind of the dog-eat-dog -dog world. You know, it's, it's, it's referred to as the great standoff, right? You work just hard enough so they don't fire you, and they pay you just enough so you don't quit. Job also stands for just over broke. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what a boss is spelled backwards means. Uh, okay, so anyway, uh, you know, we have these ideas about things, right? And so we're, we're looking for freedom, not slavery. So let's, let's continue. You're starting, you're starting to get a feel for this foundation that we're building. Double S, right? Okay. All right. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Cheryl Ann may get into this a little bit more in her segment. So, you know, we know what a balance is, right? You know, scales. Uh, a two-way balance is pretty easy. You know, you put enough stuff equally on both sides, you can get it to equal out. Can you imagine a seven-way balance? You know, it gets more and more complicated. So we've identified these seven S's. As, as, as one of the ways to take a look at your steward, stewardship. And, and it's kind of like this, this drawing here, balancing all these rocks. It's, it's not easy, you know. Cause it, and so, first of all, you need to have faith. You need to focus on your family. You need to have a function, a job, a, a thing that makes you get up in the morning, right? You need to have proper finances, your pastor has taught you greatly on that. By the way, I believe he has some of the best material I've ever seen on that topic. Okay? Uh, fitness. You know, no, I am an example of stewardship. Okay? That's why I had a heart attack 18 months ago and quadruple bypass surgery. Because I used to be an astronaut trainee, and I used to be a little bit thinner, and then I quit stewarding this part of my temple. And so I had, I had, I'm actually 60 pounds lighter than I used to be, okay? But I'm still probably 75 pounds heavier than I need to be, you know? But I'm just saying to you, stewardship matters because it's, a, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the system of harvest, right? Seed, and as Pastor said yesterday, time, and then harvest, right? So if you sow the wrong seeds, you get a bad harvest, and I, I was sowing the wrong seeds. I was working too much. I was, I was, uh, I was eating too much. Especially, you know, I, I, I'm a full-blown carboholic. You know, I'd never seen a honey bun I didn't like. <laughs> you know, a bucket of ice, a bucket of ice cream was just about right. You know. So, so you know, we have to have good. We have to have good moderation even in that. And then there, of course. We, we need friends, fellowship, you know, also sometimes referred to as fellowship. The ability to be in a church, there's a reason the Lord wanted us to gather together. You know, our salvation is complete individually, but our Christian life is not complete unless we're in a fellowship. 
We need friends. Because how many of y'all's life is perfect? Right? And so when life brings its imperfection, having some friends around to at least listen to you brings great comfort. And, of course, lastly and most importantly, we need to have some fun. Now, when we gave this test a few years back to a group much like yourself, we had them write down the seven things. We had them score themselves one to seven, and we asked them to all report back how they did. And the liars all got seven, okay, on everything. But the ones that were truthful, here's what we found out, that they said that they were high in function and they were high in faith okay so they scored themselves as sevens there and that's good because we were in a kind of a religious meeting so if they said they were a two on faith we'd have to change the format and get into some other stuff right but since they were high in, high in faith we, had, we didn't have to do much of that kind of stuff you know but that still meant that they were dysfunctional in fact if they'd all scored threes on everything that would have been better than to score sevens in a couple of things. Do you see that? Because their life would be balanced. So it isn't about being a seven. It's about being balanced. So our vision, took us that long to get to here, is to help others determine how much is enough. By the way, maybe 100 people in the room here today, maybe a little bit more, there's at least 100 opinions of how much is enough. And no number is accurate for another person. Which you have, you're the only one that can decide how much is enough because you know your personal set of circumstances. Okay, so I'm not here to say, well, you know, if you're willing to live on $1,000 a month, you're a great steward because that would be in error okay what i'm saying to you is is no matter if it's fifty thousand dollars a month because that's the word the lord has called you to and what your purpose is for that's okay but we all need to take inventory of ourselves we need to we need to realistically sit down and say and, and, and if you're married you need to do this with your spouse okay you don't need to do this individually because once you're married you're one Right, so then you have to do, agree upon this together, you know. And, and my mother used to say, some people have champagne wishes on a beer budget, right? So you have to kind of get those things balanced out, uh, you know. And uh, and then once you get that done, you need to decide upon that amount because once you know that amount, then excess can occur. Up until that point, you're like a friend of mine that said she wanted me to have all the success I could have after she had the success she wanted. But she couldn't figure out how much success she wanted, so I never could have any. There was never going to be any excess. Okay? You can't, if you give out of your need, chances are you're acting as a bad steward. This has nothing to do with tithe, okay? This is talking about even in a business. Let's say, because I know some business people that wanted to start a business, you know, and they had, you know, they had maybe $100 discretionary income, but they wanted to wear the finest clothes, dress and go to the biggest meetings. And by the time a year or two had passed, their credit card was full 
and their family was greatly in debt, and they still hadn't, they got off where they got on, and they hadn't gone anywhere yet. So that's bad stewardship. I also know people that started with $400 and turned it into a billion dollars. So a little bit of money isn't what it's about. It's just about knowing when to execute. Okay, so, but, but see, if you haven't yet decided who you are and what you need, then how can you know what you have to share? Does that make sense? All right, so the second one is to educate, train, equip those kingdom stewards that God has called for his purpose in this season. Now, that would imply that your, your calling can change. How many have had your calling change from the time you were born? Right? I mean, a lot of us, right? So, you know, we start out doing one thing. You know, I, when, I was a, when I was a kid, I thought I would be a dentist. Why? I don't know. I just thought it'd be cool to be a dentist. And then when I was trying to get in the Naval Academy, my dentist messed up my dental records and I didn't get in. I wasn't interested in being a dentist anymore. It's probably I need some so-so on that, but you know how it is. Okay. All right. And so, so then, you know, I knew that I wanted to do one of two other things. I wanted to fly high-speed aircraft, or I wanted to own my own business. And I was a little bit, didn't know which one drove me the most. So I got selected for this. I became an Air Force officer, got selected for the U.S. space program, went to train as an astronaut, and as, as, as life would go for me, as soon as I got there, the Air Force decided they weren't going to use manned space flight engineers anymore, and I got cross-trained into the rocket science division. And so while it was historic, while it was historic to help launch the first 14 space shuttles, my view of the world was I'm spending three years planning eight minutes and 22 seconds. And every time I do that, my friends get to go into space, and I have to stay here. So I know you say, God, you got to be at NASA. You got to play with astronauts. Truthfully, I was miserable because I wasn't, my dreams weren't coming true. So what did I do? I quit. And I went into business for myself in 1986. And I've been doing that ever since. Uh, so to build systems and structures, systems and structures, very important thing, to build systems and structures to be used in the millennial kingdom. Now, depending upon your philosophy of revelation and those type of things, there's all kinds of, I'm not here to talk about pre-trib, paying, any all that kind of stuff. I'm not here to talk about whether you believe in the great explosion on the, on the great day or whether you believe everything's going to be okay, what I do know is the Bible says that about a third of humanity is going to walk into the millennial kingdom. When you add all the numbers, take it all down, subtract it all out, and do all that kind of stuff, and if that's true, if that's true, I don't think we're all going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. So the Lord is preparing you today to serve then is a way of thinking about it. So what your calling is, is probably maybe your function then. You don't know. I can't guarantee that. But what I'm saying is, so building systems and structures today that are useful for the kingdom is not a bad thing. 
It may be a good preparatory thing. And then the last thing is to create excess that leads to abundance. That's the ability to give um, miraculously. Because that's, that means we're emulating the Father. Because he wants to give abundantly to us. So I wrote a book, uh, and I didn't bring them, and so I got criticized for that. <laughs> uh, uh, I've written several books, but this is, this is one that's sort of catching on right now. And it's called Collaborative Commonwealth. In the first chapter of that book, I talk about how things get created. So I want to teach you quickly the concept of water. Uh, and then, because I think water emulates God's, God's plan for us, and it also emulates our great country. Uh, and so let's talk about that for a second. First of all, everything begins with a drop, and a drop is you. And every drop is unique. Hence, when it snows, every snowflake is unique, right? And so uh, Sherilyn will talk about this a little bit more when she talks about uh, DNA. But when we look at this, Drops make you individually unique, and you have these inalienable rights. You were created by a creator who made you for his purpose in this time, and for that reason, you're special. But drops alone are not very powerful sometimes. So what they do is, I'm sure you've seen this on the hood of your car. The rain's coming down, the drops start hitting, the motion causes them to run together, they stream off in a direction. That's called a stream. So when that, or another word for that is alignment. When two or more drops get together, they kind of go off in a direction together. And so, uh, some of you have seen Sherilyn's book. It's called Sound Alignment. It's about, you know, this co this concept. Then, when streams flow together, they become rivers. And you think of this as like movements or causes or powerful things in which the direction is even more clarified. Now, we can talk about streams. It's like we may have a, one group who is very excited about uh, human trafficking and another group who is very excited about prayer for in Africa. Okay? But both of them can come together in a river, like a congregation, right? And they can both function, and the mission still gets accomplished. Okay? And then there's an ocean. Now, an ocean could also be a lake. It's anywhere the water gets gathered up. So it also could be dammed up. And what's interesting about a big body of water is it's really potential. So in this ecosystem, this church, there's tremendous potential because there's all these unique drops, all of them with unique calls in their life, all of them driven to be what God wants them to be, all of them... What they're doing is just as important as what somebody else is doing. But together, they cre create great potential. They can collaborate with each other. They form, in modern language, a crowd. Now, there's a difference between a crowd and a mob. Does anybody know what the difference is? One's controlled. And, 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 and mob's purpose is usually for evil. <laughs> and, and crowd's purpose is usually for good. But there's still just a group of folks. One just doesn't have a, a rope, right? <laughs> Usually, they're not trying to hang somebody. And so, but if you think about these oceans and bodies of water, they have great potential. And so all of a sudden, things can spring up out of them. You can put a factory on this side and, and make stuff. You can put a boat dock over here and create water entertainment. You can put a hotel over there and have people spend the night. You can build a, 
you can open the vents on the dam and create hydroelectric power. All of a sudden, what happens is that potential begins to create opportunity, yet the drops never change. That's the important thing. The drops never change. Even when they're together in the ocean, they're still individual drops. And that's why the Lord says, I can look down from heaven and count the hairs on your head. Because he knows you in the ocean. Okay? He knows you in the ocean. But he expects you to create great potential when you're together. We're going to get to the fun part here in a minute. This is, is this framing up in your mind, though? You're starting to get a feel? Okay, good. All right, let's then, so let's look at some words, and then we'll move into the part I like, which is the pictures. Oops. So, so these are some words, and I'd like you to think about, when you think about your group here, when you think about your ocean, I came up with some words to maybe get us started. So on, on maybe the spiritual side, it might be love, peace, joy, health, proven, meaning we know in our heart that Jesus is our Savior. Giving, open-handed, balance. These might be some words you could speak of about your church. Certainly, healing would be one of those, right? I mean, what a marvelous record you guys have about healing. Right, And now your pastor's leading you into your next big adventure in the area of multiplying your finances. So you can see he's starting to work that seven-way balance for you, helping you in all those areas. So if we were to look at this, on the other side, these are some of the business words that are kind of popular nowadays. Agile, able to move at a moment's notice, on demand, meet the needs that, as they come to you, disruptive. By the way, a lot of people think the word disruptive is negative. It actually means to lead through change. How many of y'all agree some things need to change? You know, some need to stay the way they are, but some things need to change. Uh, deciding to own versus renting your life. Collaborating versus, uh, versus competing. Cooperating together. That's where everybody works together and shares together, but they don't share equally because that'd be socialism. They share according to their work. And then cause could be anything we could come up with. And finally, the sharing economy. Here's the problem with the current sharing economy. What do you think the problem with the current sharing economy is? No, it just doesn't share. I mean, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. They talk about we get into sharing economy. So they, they, the first example they give us is Uber. You know, well, Uber uses your stuff to make money. They talk about Airbnb. Airbnb uses your stuff to make money. Think about it this way. Search engines. We all decided we wanted to, to go to the great and all-powerful Google. Right? Because Google knows everything. Right? You know, but Google... We all kind of do that. So what Google does, they run a bunch of ads. They make billions of dollars. How much they give you? Nothing. Then, of course, there's the next best social thing called Facebook. How many in here is not a member of Facebook? Actually, I'm impressed with it. Neither am I. 
okay? But a lot of people are. Now, look, I'm not against Facebook. It's, it's got its thing, but here's the thing. On Facebook, they convinced us to use all of our stupid pictures and tell all of our stories on ourselves, okay? They make billions of dollars doing it. How much they send you? Nothing. And then, of course, there's the text messaging things, right? You know, whichever one you like, WhatsApp, uh, Instant Messenger. Uh, what's the one with the, they do us all the funny pictures? Insta Snapchat, Instagram. They all have made, well, they all have pretended to make billions of dollars. WhatsApp has never made a penny yet, but it's sold for like $23 billion, okay? That shows you how goofed up the economy is. Okay, but how much do they share with you? Nothing. So in the kingdom, which is a sharing economy, it's intended for you to prosper as well. So some of the things we're going to look at today is fixing some of that stuff. So anybody else have some words about your ecosystem that I don't have up on the board that we might share? Somebody else got another one? Yes. Yeah, he said failing fast, you know, and, and there's a lot of wisdom in failing fast. Go ahead, figure out what don't work, move on to the next thing, which is similar to agile, but, it, but it's really more tactical, you know, getting to the point. Okay, I know this is not going to work, let's move on. That's, that, that's, that's wisdom, actually. Uh, does anyone else have another word that might apply? <laughs> oh, she's handing this microphone, okay. Anybody else? Gosh, I must be like a genius. I came up with all these words. Yes, ma'am. Fluid. Yeah. Sorry. So she says being fluid or fluidity, you know, the ability to, to flow within the circumstance, being a little bit different than agile. Thinking outside the box. That's a great one, too. And, and, and you know, it, so I believe in, in, in my talks with Jim and Mary that this church is not a sit-on-your-hands church. You're not the frozen chosen. Okay? Okay? That y'all actually activate around here. You know, and so that, that's, that, that's good. Because that's what the Lord wants. He wants us... He wants us to be a shining light, not a lamp with a big cover on it, you know? Okay. Finally, my pictures. This is the part I have fun with. So up there you see this, 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 this picture. With a line on your sheet of paper, make that a six. With a line... Make that a six. And if you know the answer, don't shout it out just yet. By the way, there are four ways to do it, just to frustrate you a little bit more. Has anybody made it a six yet? Okay. See, I see that hand. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about this. First of all, when you looked at it, you said, well, that sort of looks like a Roman numeral. 
uh, but it's more like a nine than it is a six. So that's a little messed up. Another one might have said, well, six is a curve. And that's an awful lot of straight lines. Then some of you might have been asking, well, when he said a line, well, what kind of line is it? All right, so let's start. Yep, she had it right over there. So, so let's start off with this, and I'll give you the answers to this quiz. All right, so if you're literal, you would just put this line in front. If you're... If you're mathematical, you'd put this over here. One times six is six, right? <laughs> if, if you uh, are, are, I have to make it a little bit smaller so I can do it so you can see it. If you are artistic, not autistic, but artistic, then you would go outside the lines and you'd make it look like that. And lastly, I learned this when I was teaching at a drug and alcohol recovery center. Uh, you would do this. You would draw a line through it that way, and you would say, I'm looking at its reflection in a mirror. And I'm thinking, wow, if that person would just focus... What vision do they have, right? Think about it, right? By the way, some of the smartest people I know are, are addicts. You drew that one that way? Yeah, see, see, that's real vision because you're... So here, what, what does this mean? These are referred to as scotomas. That's a big fancy word for blind spots. And what that means is that we all think we see the world the same way, but we don't. I have another one that I use with folks that, that, that asks you to count the number of F's in a sentence. And you can get people in fistfights in the middle of the lobby about how many F's there are. And, and then you really make it tough when you stand up in front of them and start counting off $100 bills and say, if you get it right, you get to keep all the money. And they start sweating and they get all under stress. You know, and, and, and then that, they, anywhere, they answer, answer six, but everybody goes anywhere from one to six. And they all see in the same sentence. But see, some people see F's as V's because they were trained phonetically. So what we have to do is to, is to overcome blind spots. In order for us to exceed, do exceedingly well, succeed, do exceedingly well, then we have to recognize blind spots. One of the best ways to do that is to ask other people, what do they see? And if, if they don't see the same thing, then you need to study it a little bit more because there may be something you're not seeing altogether. Does that make sense? So when you think about starting a business, you know, I, I used to run a big franchise company. We, we franchised about 300 brands. I remember this guy called me once. He says, he says, man, we've had this restaurant in Denver for going on 50 years. And he says, we make the best fried chicken there ever was. He says, do you think you can franchise chicken? Do you think that boy's got a blind spot or what? I mean, the colonel's been doing chicken for a long time, right? So we're, we're aware of what we're aware of. 
So always seek counsel of others is, is what maybe you learn from this. The, ne the next thing. Oops. This one's, this one's, a, now this is a, looks like a why, it really is, no trickery, okay? So what I want to teach you here about is decision making. And I know I'm left-handed, so I apologize to the group on the one side of the room here, but I'll move out of the way in a second. So what we have, the Chinese, with all their wisdom, they've identified that, that crisis that crisis is referred to as the intersection between danger and opportunity. Sort of like we talked about earlier, danger and opportunity. And, and what, we've, what we know is, is that we come to the fork in the road, we have to make a decision. Now, what does the Lord have to say about decisions? Does anybody remember the famous verse about decisions? I wish you were either hot or cold but if you're lukewarm I have to spew you out of my mouth okay he lets you be either hot or cold interestingly enough right it was the lukewarm because see really the Chinese have it wrong there's three decisions at the center of this intersection is this tree and if you don't make a decision what that's what is that called indecision right and, and that makes you a tree victim. Now, as Christians, we understand that tree doesn't quite look like this. It looks like this. Have you ever heard of, I keep being laid at the foot of the cross? It's because you haven't learned to make the decision yet. So the Lord lets you keep, it's like Groundhog Day, right? You get repeated until you learn the lesson. Now, what's great about this is, is the Lord doesn't care which one of these decisions you take. Because what you, what you know is, is that the road forks, but it also forks again, and it forks again. And eventually, these two get to where he wants you to get. He works all things together for good. So it's okay to make a bad decision. What's wrong is to not make a decision at all see that so when you're st thinking about starting a business starting a ministry doing those kind of things don't get the paralysis of analysis you know I used to help salespeople, you know and and you give them leads and they stick them in a the drawer you come back a week later so how'd that go and they said well I still got five leads we well, have five leads to start with well, yeah I know but if I called them they might say no then I wouldn't have any leads <laughs> I mean, talk about fear of loss on, on steroids, right? They also have no money. He wasn't, he wasn't hungry enough, right? So, but people are that way, or, or they go home to write their business plan out, and they get out all these three-by-five cards, and they are, can print very well. I mean, their handwriting is immaculate. And they get all these cards all stacked up, and they got them all laid out, and they're moving around the table, and then they look back, and they go... Genius, you know, look at that plan. And then they put them all together and they go to bed that night to get up in the morning, spread them all out. Genius, but they never start. What does the Lord say about faith? Faith without action is dead. A business plan without action 
is dead. A ministry without serving is dead. A church that doesn't grow is dead. Another way of saying it, y'all can probably tell I'm, I'm from the Northeast, right? My Southern accent. So in the South, we say this. If you're not green and growing, you're ripening and rottening. And so, you know, you always got to be green and growing. Next picture. When we get done with this, you guys are going to be brilliant business decision makers. But, but it'll all be in these simple ways. I mean, you don't need a Ph.D. in business administration. I got one of those. It don't help me at all. Except they call me doctor. Okay. This one's very important. This, is, this one I actually came up with. This is called, the, the other two I borrowed from somebody. I can't remember who, but we'll give them credit for it anyway. Uh, desire action window. So I want you to take a little box. And by the way, these four quadrant decision-making things, there's all kinds of them out there. You know, there's, there's, there's the Jahari window that talks about you and the environment. There's Myers-Briggs. There's, there's this system. There's all kinds of, this is mine. And it's called the desire action window. So the big D means big desire. And the big A means uh, big action. The little a means little action, and the, and the uh, little d means little desire. So when you're trying to find people on your team or when you're evaluating yourself, first take this test for yourself and then take this as an inspection of the team that you're working with. So if you have big action and big desire, faith with your works, right, then that would make you a number one. And number ones are winners. Now, let's look at the bottom of the list first. Number fours, they have little action and little desire. We refer to them as the walking dead. They would not get out of their recliner if the house was on fire. <laughs> I mean, y'all know some of these people, right? All right. How helpful are they going to be on your team? Uh, you know, they, if you need to fill up the room, if you need them to do anything in a room, not going to happen. All right, so now of the two that remain, number two and number three, the folks that have lots of desire and little action, they're referred to as uh, dreamers, and the people with lots of action and little desire are referred to as hard workers. If you had your choice, if you had to get down to just two, which one of those two would you choose? No, no, I'm saying of the dreamer and the hard worker, of the dreamer and the hard worker, which one of those two would you, because we know we want the winners. We know we don't want the losers. Okay, so now we're stuck with these other two. You can only have two. So which is the other one that you want? Do you want the dreamer or do you want the hard worker? Hard worker. Everybody in agreement? We have consensus? Hard worker. Okay, why? Because all they got to be is sold a dream. All they have to be is sold a dream, and what do they become? Winners. Another way of saying that is if you infect and inject 
If you don't infect and inject, you'll be rejected and ejected. Right? If, if you don't infect and inject, you'll be rejected. What did I say? <laughs> I've even got myself now. You rejected and ejected. There we go. That's a funny sales term, but anyway. So, see, we want hard workers because we don't have to teach them to go to work. Dreamers are like this. They come to the meeting and they talk about how great it's going to be when we get this all done. You know, and they go back home and rearrange their cards. Come back to the next meeting, they can tell you everything there is to know about what you're going to be doing. They go home and rearrange their cards. The people who drop their deck of cards and just go on and do stuff, you can give them your plan and they'll follow with you. They'll f those are qualified followers. You want those kind of people for your leadership. And, and so when you're building a business or when you're building a ministry, you want those kind of people on your team. Now, we're supposed to love all of God's children, and we do. But these are the ones we're going to go somewhere with. This is another thing I created. If I could tell you that there was an equation, that if I could teach you the equation, your dreams would absolutely come true, how many of you would want to know that? Right? Almost everybody. There's a few of you just don't want your dreams to come true no matter what happens. <laughs> you know, if they come true, then nobody's going to like me. It's the crab in the box theory. You know, you know, when you go in the south, you go crabbing. What you want to do is you want to put, you have this box with an open lid. And the first crab you catch, you throw him in the box. That crab is crafty. He'll figure out how, he'll climb out of that box. As soon as you get two crabs in the box, you're safe. Because as soon as the one crab tries to climb out, the other crab reaches up and brings him right back down. And that's the way a lot of our friends are. You tell them, I have this great idea. I want to, by the way, your family is often the other crab. Why? It's not for a negative reason. They actually love you, and the fear of loss is greater than the desire for gain. If you get out of the box, you're liable to go somewhere and be successful and wonderful, and you won't be here anymore, and we don't get to love on you, and you won't be here for Christmas. I know I'm meddling, you know. But, but if you think about it, see, that's the problem. So, so we have this little equation. Now, on the left in the little cloud is, is a series of dreams. And, and after I used to do these uh, financial studies, and we, we have about 25,000 people have reported. So it's a pretty good indicator of the dreams that people have. Most people want to own a home. They want to drive a nice car. They want to educate their kids. They want wonderful health. They'd like to go into retirement with dignity and whenever possible, buy themselves some adult toys. You know, and like a fishing boat or a vacation or whatever, okay? And, and so that's their dream. That's, we refer to that as the dream set. Now, on the other end of the spectrum are vehicles. And this is the way to get to your dream, okay? So for some people, it's their J-O-B. They're just over broke. For other people, it's a profession, for some, it's a business. For some, it's an investment. For others, it's an inheritance. They're just waiting around for Papa to die. Or it's the lottery. 
they're, it's, which is called a wish, right? They're hoping, wishing, praying, whatever it takes that something's going to happen and gonna be, they're going to be delivered from this circumstance, okay? That's the wrong kind of de- deliverance. We talked about that before. Okay, so what matters is in the middle. Before we get to talking about the fraction, let's talk about fractions. When you, I was a math major. Y'all probably figured that out by now, but I was a math major. And so I learned, you know, my, my, my math professors always said, if you learn the principles, everything else takes care of itself. So here's this principle. If the, if the result is less than one, what do you have? A fraction. If it's greater than one, you have multiplication, right? So it makes sense that we would not want to, to multiply our vehicle times a fraction because if we do, what happens when you multiply times a fraction? You always get less, right? Always get less. So here it is. Here's what the fraction is made up of. The first one is time. But what do we know about time? Well, there's only 24 hours in a day, so it's a constant in the equation because everybody has 24 hours. Some use it better than others, but it's the same 24 hours. And then, of course, there is money. And we always know that the ones that have all the money get all the money. No, that's not true because I'm going to give you an example later of a guy started with 400 bucks and is now worth $1.67 billion. So if you time in your money, uh, which is nothing but an exchange of value. By the way, what is money anyway? It's just an exchange of value, right? So if what you have is valuable, it is actually called currency. So your currency could be your time, your talents, your treasure, you see how that can be different? And, and so if you have high currency and talent, you can exchange that with people for other things. You don't always have to have money. That's why cryptocurrency is doing so well today. So a couple people must own some because they're, they're shouting from the highest hills. But crypto, most crypto today is based on a thing called scarcity, not on abundance. And so, therefore, it's sort of like a lottery. If you get in early, woo, get in late, you go, oh, no. <laughs> you know, that's kind of how that works. So be careful when you choose your investments, you choose them with at least the right time, timing involved. So if you take time and your money and divide it by your distractions, here's what I know about distractions. They're all equal. They're all equal. If you tell me I got to go home, I can't stay tonight to work on the project here at the church because I got to go home and watch my garden hose unroll. You know? <laughs> or I heard my dog ran over my cat. I got to go home, take him to the, to the vet. Anything that you let take you away from doing what God has called you to do is a distraction. Some are very emotionally valid and others are just nuisances but if they keep you from doing what you do so here's what you got to do is you got to you got to minimize your distractions to maximize your opportunity 
because as long as your time and your money, as long as your time and your money is greater than your distractions, then you get a multiplication. So when you have a vehicle, whatever it is, even if it's your job, you know, because most of us who work in a job have too much month at the end of our money, right? I mean, the job's great for about 22 days. The, those other eight really just aren't great. <laughs> I mean, we're eating steak on the first, and we're eating beans on the 23rd. Okay, but if we can get that vehicle to perform for us, and I'm going to show you how to multiply here in just a second. When, if we can get that vehicle to multiply for us, then... We have excess. And remember, what are we looking for to be stewards? Excess. And what are we going to do with the excess? Are we going to buy a bigger house? No, we're going to use it to grow God's kingdom with it. Now, it doesn't mean having a big house is bad. You know, I'm not here. I'm not a prosperity teacher, and I'm not a poverty teacher, either one. Because both of them exist in the kingdom of God. I'm a balanced teacher. Okay, because you need to have what you need to have to feel safe, secure, and in meeting your goals and your dreams. But the Lord says that if, if you ask for that, he's going to provide that. He's your provisioner. He'll give you the desires of your heart. But, but he also says that if you're faithful in small things, then he'll make you faithful in larger things. Okay, so if you keep messing up your household finances, chances are he's not going to give you the church budget. Make sense? So it takes discipline in all areas of your life in order to get there. So this dream equation of life is that way. So it doesn't. So does it really matter what your vehicle is if you're highly distracted? No. You can have the best vehicle in the world, but if you've got lots of distractions, you're only getting a fraction of what it'll deliver. Now, Sherland and I refer to the world as Babylonian and kingdom. Because in the Babylonian system, it was called one up and one down. Okay? And we refer, often look at that as a, a pyramid, right? You've got this, you got the, the boss up here, and you got the workers down here. Who's making the most money? The boss. Who's working the hardest? Workers. What we got to do for them? Oh, come on. Sell them a dream. Then what happens? They go up there. So the kingdom, we believe, looks more like this. Because at the cross, we're all equal. And if you say all points equal distance from a single object, it defines a circle. So I believe the kingdom economics is circular by nature, Worldly economics or Babylonian economics is pyramidal by nature because you're always trying to have to put somebody down in order to get where you want to go. So did I mess up? Okay, is that better? Yeah, and Sherilyn, another word Sherilyn uses is unjust weights and measures, and the Lord hates unjust weights and measures. They want, he wants, if he wants you to live a balanced life, don't you, don't you think he wants you to live a balanced 
relationship too, right? I mean, that's, you know, both in work and play and in your marriage, you know, this idea that men are the, supposed to be the dominant in the marriage is just nothing but a, 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 a set up for a fuss, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what that is. All right. I'm not meddling anymore. I'm just going to stop. Right All right. Now we're going to get down into understanding. Okay. So I got to choose my vehicle. Okay. Because we're, we're not going to be distracted, right? We've agreed we're not going to be distracted. We're going to fight off distraction. So now we've got to be able to choose our vehicle. Now, I built several multi-million dollar companies on this principle. Okay? And trust me, I started with nothing. Remember, I grew up the son of a carpenter who had heart surgery at the age of 30 and couldn't work anymore, and a textile worker, you know, who, who drew yarn off and put it on a bobbin. We were not exactly wealthy. In fact, I was the first person in my family to go to college. Kind of overdid it, but I was the first one. To, I was the first one to go to college. By the way, I overdid it because my parents told me I could be anything I wanted to be if I just chose to apply myself. That was their legacy to me, right? It wasn't that one was a carpenter and the other was a textile worker. In fact, my dad made me dig footers and sand baseboards so that I would know I didn't want to be a carpenter. So you got your straight line again. I use a lot of these lines. And, and so on the left side of your line, write the word wholesale. And on the right side of your line, write niche and put retail in the middle. And what this is going to do is help us to analyze a business opportunity and determine whether or not we should get involved or not. Is that, would that be helpful? In words, if, if, in, if in a couple of minutes you can decide whether this company makes sense or not, then you save yourself a whole lot of distraction. And so, so here's the way it works. On wholesale, the margin is smaller than on niche sales. So let's talk about that for just one second. You have what's called your suggested retail price. That's what you are going to sell something for, whether it's a widget or pizza uh, or, or, or dry cleaning services, right? You have a suggested retail price, and you take away from that, okay, the cost of goods. Or it's the dough, the, the, the labor, those type of things. And that gives you what is referred to as the gross margin. So if I sell something for a dollar and it costs me 50 cents, then my gross margin is 50 cents. And if I divide that by the dollar, it's 50%. Everybody understand that math? Okay. So the next thing to know is if I'm working in a business that has infrastructure, a building, uh, equipment, those type of things, then, and, and this could just, by the way, this just came from doing thousands of financial analysis, okay? Uh, you know, looking through profit and loss statements and, 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 and balance sheets and talking to executives and 
you know, because in, in my business today, I'm hired to be the business advisor for CEOs. That, that's what I do. I, I come in and help them figure out the next thing that they're going to do. I get to play with everybody else's toys. Okay? And so, and so in figuring this out, what I learned was that if, if my business is a 25, if it has equipment and stuff, it's a 25-50-25 combination. So let me show you what this means. 25% goes for the cost of employees, 50% goes for the cost of ops or operations, and 25% goes to the owners. Now, before I get into evaluating a couple of businesses, what do you discern from that little understanding right there? It should add up to 100, 25. It adds up to 100, but what, what can you see? What, just on its face, what shows up here? You got 25 going to the employees, 50% going to operations, 25% going to the owners. Well, the cost of doing business is higher because we got buildings and equipment and stuff like that. That's a good observation. The one that's a little less obvious, maybe, I guess, is that the owners make as much as the employees. So how do you multiply? Fire your boss. <laughs> because now it becomes 50-50. Let's look at the next one. This is like sales organizations. They're more like 40, 20, 40. Sometimes they're, they're, they're more like 50, 50 even because there's really no cost of goods except the t their time. Okay, but, but, but most of them fit this 40, 20, 40 model. So, so here's what you, you learn with this. Now, you, if you fire your boss, you get to be 80, 20. So how many people want 100% pay raise? Some of you are just quite happy the way you are. Okay? It's okay. We know which end of the spectrum you're on, right? You're risk adverse. And there's nothing wrong with being risk adverse. So don't think I'm being negative toward the ones who decided to, to take a very conservative, non-risky adventure. Because we wouldn't have balance if we didn't have a little of both, right? It takes all kinds of people to make the world go round. But for the ones in here that are looking to own a business, one of the secrets is, is that you want to maximize this. In this case, you might want to minimize your employees so that you can make this 80. Okay? So you want to find a business that allows you to sell your time, talent, and, uh, to someone. I mean, a great example of this is landscaping business. You know, I mean, people get paid 50 bucks a week to mow yards. If you get enough yards going and you're the only one out there with a lawnmower, your equipment cost is pretty small. Your income is pretty large. So one last thing about this, just so you can help evaluate the business. So now we need to choose which of these businesses we're supposed to choose. Okay, so the way this works is this. So you're sitting down and the guy's talking about this is a great business. You need to get yourself involved in this business. And you say, okay. So you pull out your pencil and you say, 
was there any equipment involved in this business? The guy goes, well, yeah, you got to buy a little equipment. got to buy a truck. got to do this, got to do that. So what you do is you say, okay, what do you sell stuff for? They say maybe 100 bucks. And, and what does it cost you? Maybe $25. And so I've got a $75 gross margin, okay, which, which translates to 75% gross margin. But if I'm a wholesale company, I'm only going to make 5 or 6%, right? So now what I, look, what I look at over here is my cost is 90% and my profit is 10%. So in the same business that has a million dollars in sales, let's do the math real quick. So they both have equipment, so we're going to use the same formula, right, the, the, the 25, 50. So what we know is, is that is if we take 25% times 75%, all the mathematician here would tell me how much is that? Okay. Because you divide it by four, we take 75 divided by four, you get 235s to cut them in half, 17 and a half. Sometimes I just don't have a calculator, I got to rely on my fingers, you know? All right? And then if, but if, if, if I'm taking 25% times 10%, that's 2.5. So if I multiply that times a million dollars, in one business I'm going to make $175,000, the other business I'm going to make $2,500. So do you see quickly how you can take this little formula and analyze any business out there? You just decide, is it more service-oriented, niche business with high margin, or is it more toward wholesale, or is it more toward retail? The, the Jewish term for, for retail, 50% uh, is called keystone. It's, it's, not, it's not in Hebrew. It's, just, it's a word that they came up with which is called Keystone, which means 50-50. So most everything you, now, now this will really depress you. Everything you buy in a store, they pay less than half for the cost you're paying for it. And what happens, how is it even possible when you go to JCPenney and they're having a 70% off sale? Yeah, because they're only paying maybe 5% for that sweater they wanted to charge you $122 for when it was really cool to buy it the first week. But now that it's but ugly, you just, you can get it pretty cheap. <laughs> oh, that's not very spiritual, excuse me. Okay, so you see how to analyze a business? This works, I don't care if it's a manufacturing company or if it's a mow the grass company. If you trust this, it will keep you out of trouble. It'll tell you where to go. Now, if you had to choose, which one should you choose? Left or right? Right, right, because big numbers multiplied by other numbers always are bigger than small numbers multiplied by other numbers. It's just, it's really just that simple. By the way, when we go to the bank, what do they want to pay us? They want to pay us percentage yield. They want us to give, uh, uh, they want us to give uh, them our money at 1%, so they can loan it to people at 21%. Did you cover the rule of 72s already with everybody? Okay. Yeah. So you guys understand how money multiplies, right? Compound interest. So it's, you know, you want to be on the 21% side of that game, not that. But see, both of them are still fractions, right? 
But what you don't know is behind the scenes, they get to take your dollar and they multiply it times nine. So they're not just making, that's the way the, that's the, way the finance system works in America today. So what, what, what you don't know is the reason they have uh, uh, granite floors and you have linoleum is this. You're, multi you're multiplying your dollar times 1.01, and they're multiplying your dollar times 20 times 9 or 180. And that doesn't count compounding. As, you make, as people make payments over the terms, they get to re-loan that money nine times again. So which side of this equation we want to be on? We want to be on the percentage side or the multiplying side? Because see, even, even evil knows how to use kingdom things. It's worth crying about. That's, that's divine timing right there. Okay, I'm about done with this first thing because I know some of you, when this goes to sleep, so does this. So we're about to get finished with the first part here. So let's take a look at debt real quick. I'm not going to belabor this except to say that if you take a look at the debt curve, this is all the different presidents. So I don't care which side of the line you fall on, okay? This is how the debt is looking. And, and, and they're predicting because Trump's changed some things that the target, which was blue, will now be the red target, but it still stinks. Okay, over here, by the way, of the other curve is the same period of time for consumer debt. What do you notice? They match. So why did that happen? That's, an, that's the $60,000 question. It's not to complain about this, but why did it happen? Harry S. Dent is a great economist. He's great at putting all kinds of charts together. This chart is called the consumer spending chart. And what it says is that when we're from zero to about 26, mom and dad pay for everything. So we're not spending much of anything. As we start up that curve, going up the thing, we get to be about 41. You know, we start to trade up from our little bitty house trailer to a real house. And, we, and so by the time we get to 46, man, we are rocking and rolling. What is true about age 46? Your kids are... Just about grown, right? You're getting ready to go off to college, you know, and, or, uh, unless they're boomerangs, unless they're boomerangs, which means you keep throwing them out and they keep coming back, okay? Uh, and so then we slide over the other side and get into our later 50s, and then we start coming down at age 60. We go to the hospital a lot more. We try to take more vacations because we don't have long left. We... Uh, we get on cruise ships about age 70, especially the ones with elevators, so we can do this, you know. You know, and, 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 then, uh, and then by age 77, we make farm, Big Pharma happy because we're on so many drugs it doesn't matter. And, and then by, by age 84, we make Big Nursing Home happy because they take all of our other money we got so that nothing goes to our kids. Okay, and that's pretty much the life cycle. Depressing. Now I'm going to get you even more depressed. Oops. 
So if you map these two curves, okay, the boomers and the millennials together, you find out some interesting things. Now, I'm kind of a, a poster child for the boomers. I was born in 1955. When you add 46 to that, what, what do you get? Okay. 2001. Back the other way. 46. What tends to happen at age 46? No way well, you get the good stuff, but it begins to pitch over, right? The old folks say, look, I ain't spending no more money. I got to hold on to what I got because I got way, I'm going to live longer than I have money. So they start to accumulate their money. And so it pitches over. So looking back at this chart now, here's what we find. Is if you take, uh, if you take my, my son's age and, you, and we add about 25 years to this, Okay, plus this 46, it, when it all works itself out and it shifts, we get to about 2008 through 2023. This becomes very important for you to know. The, the, the Lord has put out prophetic words to the community of the kingdom that there, we're coming to a time of shaking. But it doesn't apply to us unless we're bad stewards. Because then we're just like everybody else. But if you're a good steward and you're doing the things you're supposed to be doing, then much like Joseph, you'll be prepared when the famine comes. Now, what happens if the famine doesn't come? Woo-woo! Cruise ships. Okay. <laughs> What happens if the famine comes? Woo-woo, cruise ships. We get to do it either way. And they're probably cheaper, right? All right. But what we learn here is, if you notice that red V, if you go back and map all this stuff back, you find that 1977, when you work through all the numbers, is an important date. What is important about this time frame between 73 and 77? Abortion was made legal. Prayer was taken out of schools. What's that? Asbestos was made legal, illegal. But it took almost the 2001 before anybody got paid for that one, you know. But, but my point is, what we find is, is that V is the 60 million souls that are not here today in the United States who can't spend their money to keep your tractor out of the ditch. There is the law of sowing and reaping. We who are supposed to be a Christian nation allowed that to happen, and now we're suffering the consequence of it. The 2008 financial crisis in housing, our fault. Yeah, the bankers were all ugly and did wrong things, but really our fault. Because if that curve had the middle curve in it, we wouldn't be suffering right now 
with all the fear that's going on. And so if you map this all out from 2008 to 2018, right now we're in a financial decline. We're on that backside of that curve and it will not turn to go up the other side for the millennials until uh, 2023. So now we're in a war. And if you don't have a gun, you get shot. If you do have a gun, the odds are 50-50. Okay, so what I'm saying to you is you need to choose now to be a steward or choose not. If you choose not, chances are you may not make it through this period of time. But if you, and look, I'm not selling fear. I'm just selling finance. Okay, because when it gets to the other side of 2023, it's going to be the, one of the great ex, uh, explosions of the economy we've seen. You think it's good now? It's going to be cooking by 2023. Because 80, roughly 80 million millennials will be spending money like crazy. The only thing is, is it may delay four to five years because what do we know about millennials? They have kids a little later in life than we did. So they won't hit that peak. They may be in the 46 to 55 range before it peaks. So it's not perfect science here. So what you want, so what you want to do right now is have a strategy. You want to have a strategy so that you can contribute because when everybody else is in fear, if you're not in fear, what, it, what are you in? Faith. And what an opportunity to witness. So based on this, the first shaking of the earthquake could occur as early as September. What is happening now in, in September, October, November? The elections. And I'm not here to tell you to vote one way or the other. That's not my job. Because I don't think it really matters. Okay, in the big scheme of things. But what we do know is everybody's going to try to do everything they can. You've got one faction. It's really not Republican and Democrat. It's more like socialist and progressives in the middle and conservatives on the right. And it's hard to find a true conservative anymore. Because, you know, they easily are fooled to do something else. So on the socialism side, right now what you're saying is everybody needs an equal income. Just give everybody a paycheck. Has that really worked for Social Security? It has never worked anywhere in the world. Okay, so that's a flawed plan. The one in the middle says just keep doing what we're doing, we'll keep getting what we're getting. That's what Snuffy Smith used to say anyway. Keep doing what you're doing, you keep getting what you're getting. So, y'all, some of y'all going, who is Snuffy Smith? Okay, for those of you who don't know, he, he was a great, still I think is maybe in the newspapers, but he's a comic, comic strip called Snuffy Smith. Hillbilly, so I'm, it's part of my, it, it's part of my history. <laughs> Come on, you guys are messing with me now. All right, so, all right, so see, I have some compadres in here. Uh, so quickly now moving on to, to this. So Dr. Robert Clinton wrote a book called Leadership Emergence Technology. Lit. And the book's about this thick and the print is so small 
it would have probably been this thick if you could really read it, you know. And in that whole book, he breaks it down to this idea of convergence. And he says that, that sometime in your life, probably at birth, you have what's called a sovereign foundation. This is where God chooses you. And he's waiting for you to choose him, of course, but this is where he chooses you. And then you have early life development. You have divine contacts. You have divine mentors. You get, you get word items, and you, and you find uh, life maturity happen. You're moving from knowledge to understanding to wisdom, right? Following that path we talked about earlier. And so when you get into ministry development, then you get ministry tasks. You may start out working with the kids. Then, then you get a chance to teach a discipleship class. Then maybe you're a ministry team leader overseas. Then maybe you're an associate pastor. And finally, you're a pastor, if that seems to be the role you follow. Okay, Or you're just a business leader growing up and providing resources for the kingdom. And, and then, then you get to what's called convergence. And, and in convergence, uh, your early training begins to emerge. Your divine contacts start to come in. All of a sudden, you maximize all that has been gone before. And boom, that which God had called you to, he now trusts you to execute. Many of you are very close to this place in time right now. And one of the reasons your pastor asked us to come speak was to help you have some tools to come into your time of convergence. Okay? And some of you are on the way, so this is just to make you aware. Now, what happens is when you get a little bit older and you've had your success, then you move into what's called afterglow. And then that's when you teach what you found out. So uh, I believe I hit my convergence about 2008, and I'm now moving into my afterglow. People are starting to ask me to teach them what I've learned over my lifetime. Doesn't mean I'm finished because God's not finished with me yet. Because as I told your pastor the other day, I'm really actually one and a half years old. Because I had my heart attack 18 months ago, and Robert 1.0 died, and Robert 2.0 became alive. And so, and, and I'll, I'll share this one thing with you, too, if, if I have time here. Let's see. Yeah, we're about to go to our break. So this call is called the Curve of Law, Diffusion of Innovation. What it basically says is that people get, there's a few people get excited in the beginning as, as innovators. Okay, but they're about 2.5%. Then the early adopters is about 13.5%. And there's a thing called the tipping point. When you can get about 15% of your audience to accept whatever your dream is, that's when you get the big leap up the hill. What I want you to know is that in rocket science, this is the way it works. If you plot momentum versus time, when you first start out on whatever idea you have, you have a fair amount of time under the curve to make a decision. You heard me mention this earlier. What happens is you get your second great idea, you get your third great idea, you get your fourth great idea, and you get that hockey stick we talked about, right? Now, the thing I want you to see is a couple things to learn from this. The time under the curve is getting shorter, so you have to be agile, able to make good decisions, right? 
Second thing you know is, is that this triangle that's created here is called the Bermuda Triangle. And it's called the Bermuda Triangle. Why? Because people get lost in the Bermuda Triangle. And so if what happens if on your momentum curve, if you come across the center point and you don't stage to the next idea, then what took you up will take you down. And this is what we know in rocket science. You go like this, then you stage, you go like this, you stage like this, you go into orbit. And then if you look at businesses, businesses look like this most of the time. They fail to stage. They fail to change, evolve, be a part, understand the, the timing around them. We're moving into a new time when we as Christians need to be agile, ready to stage at a moment's notice to move on to the next thing that God is calling us to so that we can move at the speed that God wants us to move at. Some would say the speed of light, okay, so that we can move through that process. And so what you don't want to do, because what happens if you fail to stage, then you go through the four stages of quitting. Okay, the first one is, is that you'll say that what I'm doing is worth less than I thought it was. Not that it's worthless, but it's just worth less. Whereas I thought I was going to make a million dollars, I'm making a hundred bucks, I'm not quite happy with this outcome. Okay? When you move in the second stage, uh, it's called the jungle stage. And this is when you say, gosh, my competition is terrible. It's a jungle out there. They're all, they're all beating up on me. I, I can't seem to get ahead. The third phase is called hopeless. This is when you get the paralysis of analysis, right? And you say, gosh, it's hopeless. I just don't see how I'm going to make it. By that time, you're probably about here. Okay? And when you hit the fourth phase, it's called paralysis of the will. And this is where you take two weeks off and then you quit. I don't want you to enter any of those phases in the next few years ahead of you, or ever. So, you know, what we'll be teaching even a little bit more today is how to stage. And so, this is, this is the first part. And I promised some of you that were here last night, we were going to cover a lot of things. Believe it or not, we just covered uh, 20 principles in building your business in this short period of time. So, I think it's time for a potty break. So, what we ask for is that you keep it to 10 minutes if you can.